And a key to that success is preparation. You know, it's old, old school preparation. You know, do everything you have to do. Don't put it off till tomorrow because you don't know what's coming tomorrow. Get it done, get it done now, and then be creative in what you do. Thank you, Kyla. Yeah. My pleasure. So I am really, really excited to talk to you because you have had a very, very successful career. I, and I got to say this. I'm in Ohio and you're based uh-huh. in California, right? So everything in California feels expensive, but like some of the jewelry awards that you receive, some of the verdicts are like massive. <laughs> so let's jump straight into one of your the biggest since 2003, the biggest award that's been offered in California by a unanimous verdict, which is $930 million. $934 million and very, some odd thousands, I forgot. I'm like, that's very shy of a billion dollars. That's a really, really big I know. Award. It was unanimous jury. you think they could have at least gone ahead and give me a billion. I know. You know? They're so close. Um, but that was a great case. That was a business litigation case. And I represented Beckman Coulter against Flextronics. Flextronics is a $7 billion company themselves. And it started out remarkably as a small case. It was a $2 million breach of contract case. And then during the course of discovery, we discovered a $300,000 fraud. And so we went to trial, but all they were offering us was like $300,000. So we had to start the trial. And... The trial actually lasted for three months, and seven weeks in to this trial, I had elicited such damaging testimony uh, that I asked the judge if we could amend our complaint to conform to the proof that I'd already elicited. So now I had one cause of action for a $2 million breach of contract, one for a $300,000 fraud, and I added two claims for economic duress, which is like a subset of, of fraud. And the judge allowed it. We finished trial. The jury gave me $2.1 million on breach of contract, just what I asked for, $300,000 on the fraud, plus a million and a quarter in punitive damages. And then uh, on the third, I don't remember what the compensatory damages were, but the punitives were $180 million. And right then, I thought, oh, my God. But then the last claim, uh, the jury awarded $750 million in punitive damages. So that obviously was the highest and still is the highest verdict in Orange County history. And it was the highest uh, verdict in the United States history that year until in late November, there's a a case against the oil company that came in for over a billion dollars in Georgia. So it was the second highest for the year. Uh, and it was, it was very thrilling. Uh, and that only comes from working really hard and being prepared. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and then I got to say, like punitive damages, because there are a lot of law students that listen, punitive damages are literally to punish you. You have been so egregious. This is just to punish you. That's a lot. <laughs> like they really oh, made yeah. a statement. <laughs> it made a statement. We found uh, two different bad acts that were egregious. Uh, One uh, was we had committed an error ourselves in production, so we agreed that they would charge us 
a certain number of cents per unit made. And then when that was, when we caught up and we paid it off, then we go back to the agreed upon price. Well, um, Donna Catone, one of their workers, uh, said to her boss, okay, they reached it, should we go back? He said, do they know we've reached that mark? I said, well, no, they don't. Well, then don't tell them and keep billing. Okay. And she got on the stand and she said she's a single mother and she would have taken this secret to the grave. She was afraid to get fired by crossing her boss. The, the trial was stopped. She's crying on the stand. That was one. Another thing, when Flextronics breached the contract, they had what we call lifetime buys uh, in their factory, their warehouse. And we needed those to be able to make the same circuit boards elsewhere. They said, yeah, we'll give those to you, but you have to buy everything left over in our warehouse, whether or not it's, regarded, it's related to your product. So we said, we had no choice, and we had 24 hours to decide. So we said, fine, we're buying it all. So we bought our lifetime buys and everything else was laying around. Um, the jury was very pissed off about that. Uh, <laughs> another thing, the CEO came and testified and he was not briefed really on what was going on. He thought this is a $2 million breach of contract case. And I asked, because these circuit boards were used in medical devices, if he gave any consideration to the impact on the American public's health and safety by not making these circuit boards, because they went into blood analyzers all throughout the United States. And if we didn't have the circuit boards, people would be denied adequate health care. The jury knew all about this. I've been on that all t the whole time. He came and he laughed. He laughed. I went, <laughs> you know, took a couple of steps back. The jury really did not like these guys. Yeah. Wow. And a key to that success is preparation. You know, it's old old school preparation. You know, do everything you have to do. Don't put it off till tomorrow because you don't know what's coming tomorrow. Get it done. Get it done now. And then be creative in what you do. Uh, and if you get it all done in time, then you have time to let your mind wander and think, what can I do most creatively to get the result? And that's the secret to all of my wins. Yeah. And I mean, it's an incredible secret because you've been awarded from and recognized by super lawyers. You've been listed as the top 10 lawyer or the top 10 attorney multiple times. You've also been one at least three times for the best trial lawyer. You know what I mean? So I'm like, being prepared definitely pays off. I know that sounds really simple, but it's been working in your legal career. Yeah, that's all there is to it. I got to tell you, I am not a real technical guy. And when I got this case dealing with circuit boards, they're going, what do I know about circuit boards? <laughs> right? So I was a little bit afraid. You just go and you learn, you read, uh, and then you get prepared. And more and more as you get closer to trial, now you know what you're doing and you yeah. exude confidence. And when you come into the courtroom, you're like an 800-pound gorilla coming in, and just you just exude confidence. Yeah. Right. And Preparation that's, that's makes you what I do. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Dan, I know we started with that, but I do want to take a quick step back because in your biography and your questionnaire, you mentioned that you graduated from high school really low, really close to the bottom of the class. Right. You did not apply yourself then. You were not. You didn't care too much about preparation. What? switch like how did things change from there to where you are now as a lawyer right well in high school you're right i graduated fifth in my class from the bottom 
So, <laughs> but I then didn't go to college right away. Uh, I went and I worked construction. I would uh, climb trees with a McCullough chainsaw and chop them down from the top. I got an extra 25 cents an hour to do that, go up on a tree with a chainsaw. It's, that could be considered dangerous. Or I'd be busting up sidewalks with a jackhammer and loading it all into a truck. And one time when I was doing the job on the trees, I'm taking these parts of the trees, the branches, and putting them into a wood chipper. You know, and as I'm doing that, I'm thinking, what am I doing here? You know, um, my mom told me I'd be a good lawyer. So maybe I should try going to school. But now I think, well, now I'm going to be up against all those smart kids. Remember the smart kids in high school? So I prepared. I put them basically on a pedestal, and I prepared to fight Goliath. And when it came to the test, I got straight A's, and I was not really fighting Goliath. I was fighting just other students. So then I went to law school. I said, okay, Dan. You know, you're pretty good at this uh, undergrad, but now you're really up against the smart kids. Uh, so same thing, repeat. And I prepared once again uh, to beat these people that uh, were smart. And I had a similar result, graduating the top 10 in my class. And after that, okay, now, Dan, now you're up against lawyers. They've been practicing law for one, five, 20, 40 years. So you damn well better prepare. And so now that's just what I do. That's how I did it. Yeah. Okay, so it sounds like you always consider yourself to be the underdog, which is ironic given all of your success in your career, right? Is that just what motivates you? Uh, yes, I think that's true. I'm really proud of my successes. Okay. But despite that, I do consider myself the underdog. I'm always putting the opposition on a pedestal, and I'm fighting that 10, 10 foot high person, and it turns out we get to uh, court. They're no bigger than I am, but I'm really prepared. Yeah. You know what I mean? Okay. So. I love that. I think that's so great because you've been practicing for more than 40 years now. So now you right. are that person that people are trying to, you know, go up against and see if they have prepared themselves for you. And I bet you're probably still more prepared than them. I am. <laughs> yeah, preparation for me, you probably get it right now, is key. Yeah. You know, creativity is key. Uh, diligence. Don't put things off till tomorrow. If you can do it today, because you don't know what's coming tomorrow that you mm -hmm. may have to jump on. Yeah. Um, various things like that are what I believe in. Okay. I love that. So, Dan, I have to say, you have taken all of your experience and you have opened up a consulting company. Which, oh, yes. When I saw that, I'm preparing for the interview and I was like, what is he doing with consulting? So there's actually two different tracks, right? There's the corporate track where you assist litigators in different types of litigation, uh, spine and back, you know, sorry, I have it here. Okay. <laughs> Civil and business litigation, bad faith, spine and back injuries and things like that. But then you also assist with case matching. And I read that and I was like, case matching? What in the world? And you have this tagline, which I absolutely love, which says, your case, my contacts, right? <laughs> so is it as simple as it sounds? I may have a big injury case. I call you and I'm like, do you know anyone in Ohio who could assist me? Like, is it really that simple? That is exactly what it is. I have okay. Callahan Consulting Group, and I can be reached at my email at dan at callahanconsulting.com. And I receive a number of inquiries. Um, 
I believe I've had some good experiences. I have the highest personal injury settlement in the history of the United States, at least when it came down at 50 million, the highest insurance bad faith in Orange County at 57 million, and the highest employment of 38 million, and half the time I work defense, right? So I've got great defense verdicts. So I think I am capable of finding the appropriate lawyer for a client. What I do, let's say the client's in Cleveland, I'll check various sources like Super Lawyers or Martindale Hubble, um, various ones, and then I will see who is maybe one of the top two or three lawyers in Cleveland for that particular specialty. I will then call them and I will interview them to see if they're actually the attorney that's responsible for the great wins that I'm reading about, and if they have the capacity to take on another case, if they will be the one who will actually handle it or at least be actively involved if someone else below them is handling it. And once I'm satisfied with that, I will then arrange a time for my client uh, to speak with uh, this attorney. Usually I set up two interviews and then the client will speak to the attorney. I will be there to help you know, move the conversation along and the client will make the decision. Uh, for that, I paid a referral fee and that's pretty customary. Um, it depends what it is, depends on the jurisdiction, but that's not really my focus. I'm just fine economically, you know, uh, but that is the way we do it. Uh, so that's that. Uh, the other half of the business is I do the same thing I've done for years, which is to mentor uh, my uh, partners and my associates on trial practice and trial strategy and skills and creativity and what to do and how to do it. And I provide that same service to attorneys that are not in my firm. Usually they're solo practitioners that don't have senior partners to call and rely upon. So when I speak to them, I get the facts and then I uh, will analyze the facts and I will also uh, give them advice. Uh, I charge a reasonable fee, far less than I used to charge uh, as managing partner of Callahan and Blaine. Uh, so, and I have to charge something that's consistent with the uh, hourly rates in the given community. Now, Los Angeles may have uh, hourly rates considerably higher than Oklahoma or Omaha or something, right? So we kind of adjust uh, what I charge. And if somebody has a problem with what I charge, we can talk about it. If they don't think the service they got is worth it, well, okay, then um, there you go. That's fine. Um, I probably won't send another client to them, but I've never had that problem. I've, I've never had that problem. Actually, I've had great thank yous. I've made a lot of friends over the United States in the last two years since I've been doing that. Okay. So I have one of my questions here was, is the Callahan Consulting a way of mentoring and giving back to the legal community? And even as I wrote it, I was like, it can't be mentoring. I'm sure he charges for it, but it is still mentoring, especially if, like you said, you're working with solo practitioners who don't have that example of what should I be doing, who should I be following? You're right. It is uh, mentoring. Mm -hmm. It is teaching. Yeah. Uh, but it's also, I bill for it. Right, of course. But as I mentioned, at a very reasonable rate. Mm -hmm. And I, I enjoy doing it. See. Okay. Um, I've always heard growing up that like most people don't respect stuff that they don't have to pay for. So I think it's smart <laughs> that you pay, <laughs> that you charge right. for it. Yeah. Right. Okay. And I've also, um, 
a managing partner of Callahan and Blaine, but I mm-hmm. have recently moved to Puerto Rico. Mm, okay. And Puerto Rico has tax laws that are un- incredible. Uh, so I pay just a small fraction of what I would have paid in California. So that's another way that I don't really have to charge the same amount because the amount of money that comes to me on an hourly basis is significantly more uh, percentage-wise than it would be in California. Yeah. So I want to touch on that a little bit because living in Puerto Rico sounds incredible, but also the flexibility that you have as a business owner, as a lawyer. Did you ever anticipate that this would have been your life, your legal career? Um, I really wanted to be a lawyer from the day I started back to college, and I've never varied from that. And I really made the right decision because I enjoyed it. You know, I know some people get burned out on litigation and it's just not the right one for them. And they leave. They have a valuable education that they can take with them, but they just don't want to be a trial lawyer. I, on the other hand, love it. Um, I do. And I got to tell you, though, at the very beginning, when one of my associates brings me a case, he's already taken all the depositions. And I look at the stack of papers and these exhibits and depots and I've got to come up to speed. it's a little scary, but I just buckle down. I do it. And when I do it, uh, I gradually become more and more confident, as I mentioned, the circuit boards, right? More and more confident. And that confidence just keeps me going. And you know what? When you win and you're high-fiving, you forget all about those weekends that you were working, some party you missed or whatever, the working you know, 12 hours a day or more. Uh, it's all about the high-fiving and the victory and celebrating. And it really brings joy to my heart when I see a client just really thankful and grateful uh, and, and happy because they're in doubt, right? Um, there's a competent lawyer on the other side saying all kinds of nasty things. <laughs> uh, but it brings joy to my heart uh, to bring that satisfaction to a client. Okay. So I have one more question here, which is, this, the podcast audience is made up by law students and new lawyers, so five years practicing or less. Dan, do you have any advice to them about what they can do with their law degree? Uh, a new lawyer? Uh, I, I favor litigation, but you should. it depends what is available to you. If you graduate uh, high in your class, you may be able to be recruited by a number of law firms, and you can pick the law firm you want to go to. Uh, but, you know, all I can really recommend is hard work because when you're in law school, you don't really know what the practice of law is about. They don't teach you the ins and outs of how to do it. So you got to go there, try to get a mentor in that firm who can guide you along for the first few years. If, you, if you're a solo practitioner, try to join the local bar association and some of the uh, committees within the association. Uh, so you can speak to other lawyers and have uh, relationships uh, with them. And those relationships are not just to help you practice law better, but it's also um, helping you grow within the community and have friends within the community. And the more you have friends, the more you like what you're doing. So again, uh, creativity, uh, preparation, hard work, that's what it's all about. Yeah. And just one last little quick question here. 
When you work with solo entrepreneurs or solo practitioners, if someone graduated and within the five years they were like, I'm going to start my own firm, could they call right. you for the consulting or does it need to be someone who's been practicing for 10 years or what? Oh, no, they can call me. In fact, that's what I did. I worked in Hawaii the first two years of the oldest and largest law firm in the state. I was recruited out of UC Davis, and I worked in Hawaii for two years. I had a mentor there, but Hawaii wasn't for me. I moved to Newport Beach, California, where I had a big law firm, and I was taught by the senior partners there. Uh, but what happened is I would always be out talking to people and making friends and telling them about the cases I'm handling and they would get all excited because I'm excited. Now they want to hire me. So I opened up my own firm on St. Patrick's Day, 1984, after having practiced for basically almost five years. And um, so now I was a solo practitioner and I had plenty of cases because clients came with me uh, and I just wanted to do it. I wanted to be my own boss, you know, uh, I learned a lot at the two law firms, but it was time for me to go out, and I had the clientele at the time. One thing I did, by the way, and I don't know if this is as timely now, 84 it was, so I would write an article for a magazine or a newspaper, so my name is out there. I would do seminars. I would get all the big shots in California to try to, to talk about legal practice. Then I put myself on a panel. Well, I... Oh, that Callahan must be bright. Look, he's sitting, look who he's sitting next to. You know what I mean? Uh, and I, I did marketing um, by writing, speaking, shaking hands, meeting people, and going to the Bar Association events, meeting people, getting referrals. That's the old school way. I guess now people do it more by LinkedIn, you know, yeah. or different ways. So <laughs> LinkedIn is definitely a big practice, but the writing is always going to be applicable, whether it's a blog or maybe it's podcasting to get yourself out there, right? Yes. Whatever you can do to put yourself in front of a bigger audience works. Right. Well, we're doing that right now. I know. Right? That's great. <laughs> yes, through your help. Yeah, absolutely. So, Dan, thank you so much for sharing everything. I'm excited to let the podcast audience learn more about you. And mm -hmm. where can they find you? What's your website? Uh, <clears throat> CallahanConsulting.com. And uh, email dan at callahanconsulting.com. Uh, and also my cell phone, they can call me. And it's 949-584-4434. Now let me tell you, when they call and I don't recognize the number, I don't answer. But if they leave a message, then I listen and I call back. You know, because just like you, you get phone calls from strangers. Yeah. You know. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm not afraid to put my cell phone number out there. That's completely reasonable. Leave a message, Dan will contact you back. <laughs> there you go. Well, thank you for talking to me, and I will see you later. Bye. Thank you. It has been my pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. <laughs>